Good morning, Merlin. I'm uh, Nico Cookson, the head of corporate development for Merrimacka Copper. Uh, we are developing the Merrimacka Oxide project in northern Chile. Uh, we view the project as uh, a very unique and well-located development project with uh, exceptional return on invested capital economics. Nico, nice to get you in front of the camera finally. Uh, we've spoken in the past, but this is the first interview we've done directly with you. So uh, good, to you, good to be talking to you. Um, just by way of getting started, could you tell me how you came to join uh, Marimaka and kind of what your background is? Absolutely, yeah. So I got introduced to uh, to Hayden Locke, who's the president and CEO of Marimaka in uh, in early 2021 uh, by a mutual connection uh, in the industry. Uh, was was working and living in London at the time, and it was a project that you know through my through my past roles was familiar. I was familiar with. Um, it's obviously a very high quality development project. And prior to joining Merrimack, I was working uh, in private equity and mining private equity in London. And it was a project that we were relatively familiar with um, at the shop I was working at. So when the discussion evolved with with Hayden in terms of him wanting to bring on board uh, someone in the corporate development arm of the business, um, those discussions evolved into you know me coming on board and joining the Merrimack team in, in September last year so it's been uh, just over a year in in the seat and obviously the project has has come a long way since then uh it's been a very very busy year through the end of 2021 and and through 2022 for for Merrimacka and the Merrimacka project so uh, exciting times ahead and uh and very very excited to to be in this role and looking forward to the future so so you're a mining analyst is really that's the kind of best way of describing you I, I know you're doing corporate development now but your background and your training is as a mining analyst Correct. So I started my career in mining investment banking in, in M&A and corporate finance advisory. Uh, from there, moved into the, the principal investing arm uh, in mining private equity, focused solely on, on investing uh, on the equity side of the business in, in base metals and precious metals assets globally. Um, and from there, you know, across that experience have been, like you say, uh, looking at project analysis, valuation, um, and return profiles on, on mining investments. But I've now transitioned, bringing all that experience into corporate development at Merrimacka. And uh, life in the junior sector, it's quite different to life in the banking sector. Uh, you know, small company versus, uh, you know, a big company. Uh, presumably, you've got a variety of, of roles and responsibilities that you have to take on. Correct. Yeah, it's, uh, it, I, I describe it as dynamic. Um, I think uh, we're a small team and we obviously all have to be, you know, across the detail on every aspect of, of the company and the project. So, um, you know, fantastic learning experience uh, to be on the corporate side of the business and, and moving this project forward. Um, I think luckily with Merrimack, it's a project that that sort of develops itself because of how uh, how quite how high quality it is. But, um, you know, the team that that Merrimack has pulled together uh, at the project level um, is, is very, very experienced. And, you know, I think we're, we're very well positioned for, um, you know, what should be a an interesting 2023 as the project moves towards that that definitive feasibility and ultimately construction phase. Well, let, let, let's just have a quick look at Merrimack in 2022 because you know, the share price is off 30% or so, one third, but it, it's performed well relative to its peers. Um, but it's been a pretty torrid time across the the market itself. And I I, I guess you're behind uh, or involved in creating the peer group comparisons for Merrimack that are included in the presentations. So could you just Kind of uh, tell me what how you see the the copper market uh, performance or kind of the, the main drivers of share price performances in this past year or the year to date. Absolutely, I mean I think we've seen um, we've seen a lot of copper 
copper price volatility in the in the last 10 or 11 months or so, I think largely driven by uh, the volatility of macro financial flows. Um, I think the copper price has, has certainly decoupled from you know what used to be a, a very supply demand driven market in terms of pricing. Um, but I think fundamentally and on a long term basis, we still remain bu- very bullish towards the end of the decade as um, you know the structural deficits that we see in the copper markets um, remain very, very true and have actually been exacerbated by you know, the price declines this year. So I think given, you know, Merrimack's alignment with um, coming online in sort of the 2026, 2027 timeframe uh, aligns quite well with, um, you know, where we see prices going, uh, copper prices going in that timeframe. So, you know, I think we expect some ongoing volatility for the next, you know, six to 12 months, but fundamentally in the long term, we are, uh, we're not that that worried about, about copper price. But why do you say that the short the, the the volatility in the metal price is going to affect the supply demand balance? Do you think expiration dollars have been curtailed? Do you think supply has been taken off the market just because we've had a dip in the low prices? Yeah, certainly. I think you know when you look at the uh, the marginal cost of production, there are there are assets out there that um, that turn offline when you're in 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 the low three dollar copper price environment where it's been sitting for you know absent the last week or two for the majority of. Of the second and third quarter of this year so you know supply estimates that had uh you know copper price holding true at say 375 or 380 for for 2022 uh, that ne- that hasn't necessarily held true so there has been supply coming offline in, in in the short term so certainly the estimates going forward into into 2023 and 2024 um you know we see those being constrained even further by the low prices uh, across across the copper market that we've seen this year so that and in addition to that, as you say, um, I think the market's very much gone slightly risk off this year in terms of you know equity dollars available for for explorers and developers in the industry, which is obviously a critical component of making sure our development pipelines supply pipelines are are full. Um, so uh, when there's no exploration dollars flowing into the ground, there's obviously no new discoveries. Uh, Merrimacka luckily is. I think one of the only you know major copper discoveries made in in Latin America in the last ten years. Um, so we're not seeing many of those dollars flow back into the ground and hence the supply pipelines are not being filled up for, for longer dated projects. It's got, it's a, it's a, it's a double whammy, isn't it? Because not only do, is the expiration, uh, dollar harder to find, um, it's a triple whammy. It's the expiration dollar is hard to find. So, um, it's, it's harder to raise money for exploration. The money that Absolutely. companies do have. Um, is conserved. They go risk off. They don't spend as much on big drill programs. So actually, the 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 money that was previously allocated to exploration kind of gets slightly uh, pulled back or constrained. And then the final element of it is that when the equity valuations are crushed, the companies don't want to issue dilutive stock um, on their asset value. So then, with the next capital raise, they're likely to do is much smaller. And it's only when the metal prices really drive those valuations back up to reasonable levels that the, the, um, uh, that the equity, that the juniors raise money again. And so there's almost like a concertina effect, you know, you can get a six month, uh, drop in metal prices, but it could lead to a 12 or possibly even an 18 month, uh, gap in the expiration dollar spend. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, right now, we, 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 the, the main um, catalyst for getting you on is to talk about your most recent news, which is about water. Um, uh, there's been lots of bad news about environmental stuff in Chile, um, but is this a ray of light? Uh, or perhaps you could kind of tell us about your the this news release that went out on the seventh. 
Sure, absolutely. So what we announced on, on the 7th was basically a uh, an option agreement with a water supplier in the Bay of Mejiones, which is uh, the nearest port town to Merrimack. It's situated about 25 kilometers from the project site. And what we announced was an option agreement for life of mine water supply uh, for the Merrimack project seawater supply. Um, and this option agreement basically serves as the precursor to the water supply agreement uh, that will execute upon uh, final investment decision at the Merrimacka project. So it guarantees us uh, future volumes of supply for the project of seawater from the Bay of Mejiones. And I think this is significant for, for a number of reasons. And uh, the core one being, uh, you know, Merrimack is sustainability positioning. Uh, we're obviously a project that can operate with seawater as our process water. Uh, groundwater is obviously a very sensitive issue in Chile right now. If you look at the WoodMac numbers, um, freshwater usage in the Atacama region of Chile, about 50% of that usage is accounted for by the mining industry. So it's a critical component of, of getting any project permitted in Chile at the moment. And I think Merrim it positions Merrimacka very well because we do not need to rely on a freshwater source uh, in order to get our operation uh, constructed and operating. And by partnering with one of the water the power and water suppliers in the Bay of Mejiones, uh, we removed the need to even permit a, a seawater intake uh, in the Bay of Mejiones too. So the process for us now will be uh, basically getting the pipeline route from uh, the, the Bay of Mejiones to the project permitted via an easement, um, but the project will operate with seawater for uh, its life of mine, and and this agreement guarantees that for us. Guarantees remind that me what are the for us. remind me what are the main water uses in in the in a um. Um, and in an SXEW process, you've—I mean, because the tanks themselves are quite small. You've, um, you've got tailings. You've got—it's—it's um, um, it, it's not a particularly water-heavy process, is it? Well, no, it is so, hydro. So it, it, is, of, it, it is hydrometallurgy. Yes, I mean, the majority of of, of the water usage gets um, gets accounted for in the heat bleaching process. So we will have collection ponds at um, at at Aramaca and 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 the seawater will be used and combined with with our asset supply to basically irrigate our heat bleaches. Now, the SXEW portion of the plant requires uh, some water usage, some freshwater usage. So there's an element of our plant that has a smaller reverse osmosis plant for a countercurrent wash to uh, remove that salt and make sure that we have uh, a clean process in, in the SXEW portion of the plant. But the majority of our, our process water is used in the, in the front end in the heat bleaching process. Uh, and the five phases of metallurgy, a very extensive metallurgical program that Merrimack has completed to date. Uh, we've, we've completed with both, uh, freshwater and seawater actually sourced from the Bay of Mejiones as our testing water. Um, and this, you know, seawater usage has, is precedented in Chile right now. There are a lot of operations that have made the transition or, or are thinking about making that transition. Um, so I think Merrimack, um, Will be will lead the way in terms of one of the new projects constructed uh, with solely seawater as its process water being used. Did you get a better results with saltwater? Because I I have come across leaching um, uh, heat bleach copper operations in Chile that have actually added salt to um, <laughs> to <Correct>. their water. <laughs> so yes. I just wondered, did, did you get a better? Did you get any? Was there, was there a measurable difference in recoveries using seawater over fresh water? It actually does benefit the chloride. The chloride that comes from the seawater actually does benefit our leaching process, particularly when you move beyond the green oxides into more of the uh, the mixed and secondary sulfide leaching. 
Um, so there is actually a, a marginal benefit to us uh, for using the seawater as long as, as on top of all of you know the obvious sustainability and ESG uh, benefits that come with uh, sourcing water directly from from the sea. And and there is a um, there's there's you know benefits to both sides, us and our partner, in terms of using the seawater because. Uh, basically, the origination of the water is is from the back end of the the thermal power plants that are based in Mejiones. They intake seawater and circulate that water as cooling water for their stations. And rather than uh, retreating that water from a temperature perspective and pumping it back into the ocean, they're actually able to then divert it to us, recycle that water to use it as processed water uh, at Merrimacka, for example. You know, there are operations like uh, like Sierra Gorda that's relatively close to Merrimacka that um, that source their water on a very, very similar framework from the Bay of Mejiones. But through the same power plant? Uh, different power plants, uh, but, uh, but, you know, same overall um, concept. structure. Yeah, and concept. And uh, I noticed your news release was very careful not to describe it as a thermal or a coal-fired power um, station, you know, maintain the green credentials. Um, yes, I mean, many many of these, many of the plants, when I say thermal, many of them operate on gas. So uh, many of them have transitioned away from thermal coal. Um, but in the Bay of Mayonis, some of them are, uh, some of them are, are remain coal and some of them are gas. Uh, good. Um, that is a crucial step because that is, uh, that is one of the, um, uh, key uh, obstacles, key milestones for any project in Chile is obtaining the water. So tick. Um, could you give any comment on the the uh, the environment generally or the, the, the atmosphere generally regarding environmental permits? Because there are, uh, there are very mixed reports coming out of Chile over here. <clears throat> it's not just applicable to the mining sector, but also to uh, all construction permits that there's been kind of quite a radical approach taken to issuing of construction permits you, you may not be in the permitting phase at the moment but kind of em- any commentary on that would be uh i think useful for the for the listeners or the viewers yeah absolutely i mean i think um you know, e- each project in, in in chile is unique in terms of uh, its approach to permitting um it's a very diverse country in terms of where projects are located and what the implications are uh for the permitting uh, process for each asset i think where where Merrimacka benefits is that we are uh, very, very well positioned um, from a permitting perspective in terms of the execution risk for the project itself. Um, you know, we are not in the high Andes where where water where water and, and flora and fauna um, are potentially an issue. For example, we are located in the in the coastal cordillera. Um, but I think you know overall in Chile, there's certainly been um, uh, increased scrutiny on on moving projects through the permitting process. And I think rightfully so, uh, you know, we are moving, uh, we are moving to a world where sustainability uh, has to be, needs to be a, a core focus. So, you know, projects need to be, um, be governed with, with the appropriate oversight uh, during the per- permitting process. But, you know, for Merrimacka, um, we are well positioned from that perspective. And I think now that we have, now that we are moving into the definitive feasibility stage and really that, that permitting phase that represents uh, the critical path for the project going forward. So the team uh, in country uh, will, will and ourselves will be we very very focused on uh, getting preparations, uh, getting our preparations done for our permitting submission in in late 2023. Uh, so that very very much represents uh, the core focus for for the business right now. In addition to uh, moving uh, towards and kicking off the the definitive feasibility study. So you presumably you've already started your 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 long lead 
um, items such as environmental baseline monitoring, kind of multiple multiple quarters of air and water and uh, flora and fauna studies. That's correct. Yes. So uh, those studies have been ongoing actually since uh, since the PEA was published in 2020. There have been multiple iterations. They obviously have to be kept up to date. But the long lead time items that will support uh, the the permitting submission in 2023 are, are underway and, and baseline studies you know, have been rolling through the year as we move through the seasons. So preparations are underway. Um, I think now that um, now that the resource, the updated resource was released in, in October, where we saw a, a notable scale up in um, in the size of Merrimack overall, uh, I think we have a good idea of um, where the project sits from sort of a scope perspective as we move into the DFS in terms of where we see production scale coming out and life of mine coming out for that study. Um, we believe that there will be a, a material step change from, from the scale in the PEA. So now that we have sort of the overall framework of what will drive that study, which is the underlying uh, mineral resource, um, we can start, uh, you know, moving forward with the engineering phases of, of that permitting submission, et cetera, that now that we have um, the overall sort of scale concept um, almost locked down. Well, we all fashioned, but um, isn't the, the 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 tried and tested method to do a PA to, I mean, it, to, I mean, it's very glib to say to say what it might be, and then the PFS is to describe what it should be, and then do the detailed engineering and a feasibility study to say what it will be. But that that um, tr- those trade-off studies, that scaling, that um, those option studies in the PFS is such a crucial step. Um, are you um, sure it's a good thing to skip it and go straight to DFS? Yeah, I mean, I think um, good question, and and it's something we um, it's a question we get a lot regarding moving from from the PEA to the DFS. Um, I think where Merrimack could differ slightly is that. Um, the, the PEA study that was released in 2020, the, the, the resource side of it was very much playing catch up with the balance of uh, the inputs that went into that study in terms of converting R inferred into measured and indicated. And, you know, that the main driver of why we had to call that study a, a, a PEA um, in 2020 was just because we had not drilled the inferred to a, um, a high enough density that we could move it to MNI. So that's very much been the focus for, for 2022 for Merrimacka. We obviously have this interim resource out that we published in, in September and come come February next year, um, we'll look to publish another updated resource, uh, moving most of our inferred in, into MNI so we can use that uh, in our mind planning for the DFS. Um, but the 2020 PEA was was informed on on sort of the capital breakdown and the and the operating cost breakdown by budgeted quotes from providers to PFS level. So under 43101, we obviously uh, were required to call it a PEA because of uh, the inferred resources that we were included in that mine plan. Uh, but we are very much confident in the estimates that we have from that study moving forward. And there have been a number of option studies completed between that point in time and now that we'll take forward into our planning for for the DFS. But you, you said that this, the scope has changed. I mean, surely just by the, by the change of the scope, you want to, in a sense, you've almost got to kind of re-engineer at that level to... Um, to kind of incorporate all of, you know, you, know, yeah, you, need, you, need to, you need you need to scope out. You need to run the numbers on a on a series of um, uh, mining rates, uh, mine yeah. lives, throughputs, uh, scheduling, orientation of pits, a whole different array of configurations of those kind of key components. Correct, and I think where 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 Merrimack benefits uh, immensely by the nature of our ore body is that ge- uh, geometrically. Um, 
the geometry of the ore body is very, very favorable to um, to stepping up that scale without dramatically changing the the the, the um, sort of the approach to mining it. So what I mean by that is while we uh, increase the resource uh, quite materially, and that has obvious implications for for the scale of the asset and the size of the plant you have to build, from a mining perspective, you're still capturing most of that resource in a single continuous pit. And the phasing of that pit will be very similar to what we released in the PEA because um, the grade distribution of the ore body um, and on this new resources is similar to what we saw in 2019. So there are, you know, the first five years I will very much still be dominated by that higher grade green oxide material that's located uh, near surface. And we'll, pu we'll push back from that in, in similar phasing to what we had in the PEA, albeit at a, as a, at a bigger scale. So you're right. It does have implications for, uh, for plant design and, and area, obviously, because we're going to be leaching a lot more material than what we had, or we, we think we'll be leaching a lot more material than what we had in, in the PEA. Uh, with the updated scale, uh, but from a mining perspective, um, you know, we benefit immensely from from the the nature and the geometry of this ore body being at surface and our strip ratio remaining very low and the continuous nature of, of the mineralization as a whole, given we can capture most of the the resource in uh, in a single continuous pit. You've also, um, by pushing out that pit envelope or the, those pit walls or the resource envelope, you've dropped the um, the average grade and the cutoff grade. Um, does that mean you're going to have to do new metallurgical test work to understand the kind of the behavior of the um, the lower grade portion of the resource? So presumably, you've you've tested the the old average grade, but you probably haven't tested the new average grade. Correct. I mean uh, the um, the so the ore body is 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 zoned um, to an extent. So at the at the at the core of the ore body, you have the, the green oxide zones, which are sort of the central part of the pit. And as you move into the peripheries of the ore body, you move more into the the lower grade, as you said, halo of, of black oxides. Now, um, the wad component, the black oxide component of the ore body has been um, tested in every phase of our metallurgy thus far. So we're relatively confident in in our, our sample set for that going into the DFS. Um, you know, I think we we consider our, our metallurgical test work at this point uh, bankable. There'll be a few additional auxiliary studies we'll have to complete before the DFS on things like particle size distribution, et cetera. Um, but given the robustness of um, you know, the metallurgical program that Merrimack has completed thus far, particularly with phase five in terms of the industrial scale columns that we completed, the variability study, et cetera, um, we are relatively confident that across the, you know, the, the mineralization species in the asset, we have a, a very, very good idea about the, the metallurgical performance of each. Um, across the various different grade distributions, and and presumably in those column tests, you've also you're getting a better understanding of leach kinetics and kind of um, permeability flows in a in a simulated pad environment. Correct, correct. Um, so a lot, I mean, a lot of a lot of phase five was testing the testing at as close to industrial scale conditions that we could. Uh, what we put forward in the PEA in terms of our metallurgical design. Um, that was confirmed from our test work in phase five. So like I said, there'll be a few auxiliary things to, to finalize in terms of optimizing things like crushing size for permeability purposes ahead of that, that DFS. But from a, from a core geometallurgical perspective, um, uh, we have a very, very robust uh, data set uh, moving forward into 2023. Thank you. Um... I don't want to delve too deep into the into the into the technical side of things, but I, I can't resist. Um, does it, do you think you're going to have to agglomerate, or is, is it? Yes, you know? Merrimack will will agglomerate before we uh, before we stack. 
And so, um, in the, is that uh, cement or um, um, what? What? What's your agglomeration? Kind of, uh, it'd just be the acid and salt water, uh, and then in the in the enriched. And so, in the in the later phases of the mine plan, we do actually add some additional salts to uh, what's already a salt water and, and acid mix um, in order to uh, to optimize the recoveries on that lower uh, enriched mix and secondary sulfide zone. Good. I better stop there. Or else, I'll, or else I'll turn this into a technical talk, um, <laughs> which must be avoided at all costs. Um, thank you very much. So it, it sounds as if, correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds as if the the next kind of major announcement is going to be an upgraded resource in in Q1 next year. That's that's correct. So what what happened to what happened this year is we we cut off data for the uh, the 2022 uh, mineral resource update, which we announced um, in the, at the end of the third quarter. Uh, about halfway through the 2022 program. So we captured all of the drilling that was targeted at growing the resource in, at depth, um, but there's still about 20,000 meters of drilling that we completed uh, in 2022 that was not captured in that resource update. The majority of that is is infill uh, towards the northern end of the deposit. Um, and like I said, the, the goal of that drilling will be, well, the goal of Merrimack will be to capture that drilling in, in a new resource that we'll look, look to release in Q1. Um, we don't we don't foresee um, more scale changes, massive scale changes in that resource. It'll be more about converting our, our existing inferred, um, which is um, which is about the same proportion of what we had in the previous resource over to MNI so that we can um, we can use that for the basis of the mine planning and reserve estimates going forward into the DFS. Great. And then um, and then it's kind of um, fast run, fast heads down to getting all the engineering done for the DFS later in the in 2023, Q4. Presumably. Correct. So I think the big check marks for Merrimack this year were, were really from a de-risking perspective. Um, we're really um, the resource getting this, this infill drilling done, which we foresee as the last drilling campaign will need um, for the Merrimack oxide deposit alone uh, before heading into that DFS. And the second was obviously this water option agreement, which uh, was a fantastic achievement for for the team led by Laura Rich uh, on the management team of Merrimacka uh, and her team down in Chile, um, which, as you said, is, is, is a big element of de-risking any project in Chile, given the sensitivity to water there. And that there, there, there's flexibility um, in this option agreement for the water for us to scale up and down uh, the volume requirements, depending on where we land from a design perspective on the DFS. So if we end up, you know, larger than where we foresee right now, we have the flexibility in that agreement in order to scale up the volumes that will be allocated. Um, and the same goes for the downside. If we end up on a, a smaller project, for example, than what we foresee right now, we can shape those volumes accordingly. So the agreement is provides enough flexibility that, you know, we have comfort that by the time we execute the water supply agreement um, at point of FID, um, we'll, we'll have, you know, the flexibility within that to shape it, you know, as we need to. Nico, thank you very much. And a neat summary, a good update. And um, perhaps we should meet again when you, or the, when the next uh, resource comes out, perhaps sometime in um, late Q1 or early Q2. Absolutely. Thanks very much for having me, Merlin. It was a pleasure chatting today.